Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Robert Rodriguez film, which is Alita Battle Angel. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hello there again, everybody, and welcome in to episode 183 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with my usual buddies, Nick Cheney. Hey, hey. And Toussaint Egan. Hey, yo. Hey, guys. How are we doing? Oh, we're doing all right. Doing great. We are. Yeah. Are you speaking for him now? Oh, yes. Ooh. Yeah. You can say I'm just like speaking for him like a puppet. Oh. Hi, I'm Nick. <laughs> what? I'm going to take your toys away if you don't be quiet. Well, you don't have to mention those. Oh, I will if you, you step out of line. <laughs> God damn it. This is not this is not the kind of person you want to defy. <laughs> I like that we are literally talking on audio recording software and Tucson is just like trying to act like it didn't just happen. What are you <laughs> Okay, we're gonna mention that. Okay. Alright, it's time to go. Well Tucson yes. Tucson's letting the cat out of bag here, so uh there is a rather silly comparison. Uh, between one character, it is silly. No. Yes, it is. It's no. actually really on point. Thank okay. you. Even if it is, it's still silly. It is silly. It's, just as, because... it's as silly as the as the character in question that we're talking about. Yes, that's one of the reasons why I was saying it was silly. Anyways, we will get to that when we, we talk will. about this, this very interesting cameo that tease was made. Tease a sequel that'll never happen. Can we even get to the start of the episode? Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the film we are going to be talking about in a little bit is Alito Battle Angel, the film that had a very interesting cameo of a villain that may or may not come to pass someday. We'll see how it does overseas. It's going to be a big floppy bomb here in America. Yep. Anyways, yep. before we get to discussing that film, uh, Nick has a fun little idea for us to do for the rest of the year and really actually anyone out there could do if they yeah. wanted to and they could send us their thoughts on it um and it's kind of a i don't i don't you know not like it's not like a task or something like that but it is a uh you know something in terms of being involved with film as we all are on a week-to-week basis yeah wanting to do something that challenges you in a different way or you know Makes you take time to look at something, and I think uh, that's the biggest thing is time. Yeah, like I so. so from... Why don't you why don't you tell everybody more about it? Well, thank you, Alex. Uh, I, I like you. to think of it as uh, a judgment-free pledge. <laughs> but basically, I asked my co-host and myself to come up with a goal or two, uh, cinematically speaking, for the year that we are currently in, twenty nineteen. 
And I don't care if myself or if you two actually achieve your goal, mm-hmm. but I feel like literally if any progress is made towards it, it means you probably went on your way to watch something that you weren't planning on watching yeah. to begin with. So, or just weren't going to make time for without a little, you know, push. Okay. Nice. So basically I just asked for uh, just what would you like to do if you were held accountable <laughs> uh, in the new year. And so for myself, mm-hmm. um, I kind of came up with two goals. One's very easy, and I'm pretty sure I could very easily do it. So which is, considering I am a Steven Soderbergh acolyte, um, I need to actually watch eight more of his films. I've watched, I think, 22 or 23. Uh, he's, he's a busy little beaver ever since he won for uh, Sex, Slides, and Videotape back in 1989 at the Palme d'Or at the Tom's Film Festival. He's already survived one retirement. That is true. And so I um, there's about eight more films Four of them I have, and like two or three of them are documentaries. So it's definitely his more obscure stuff and whatnot. But they're even the ones that I haven't seen are sound right up my alley. So I plan to watch the remaining eight. Um, then my other goal, which is kind of even more fun because I think I need a little more push, even though I very much enjoy it, uh, is to finish uh, my Zadoichi Criterion set. Which, oh, okay. for anyone who doesn't know, Zadoichi the Blind Swordsman was a very popular and fun series that ran in Japanese, kind of like the Japanese Bond films. Tell me about this before. Samurai. He has one of his episodes is with yes. uh, Toshihiro Mifune. Playing Yojimbo. It's oh. uh, Zadoichi versus or and Yojimbo. I don't know if they fight each other. I think they fight each other. But uh, maybe when I get to that one, I'll rope you in and we can watch that one cool. together. So love to. But yeah, I, I've only watched the first five and I really liked all five. And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't care as far as quality of each and every entry because so far they've all been so consistently good that... I'm just excited to just see how a very quick, because for 25 films, they were made about two to three a year. So it's really like a 10-year period. Um, Hmm. So I'm very excited, and hopefully I will actually be able to watch the remaining movies, which is about 20 in my set. So Steven Soderbergh completion and Zadoichi the Blind Swordsman completion is my two kind of hand-in-hand goals. Nice. Thank you. Who would like to go now? And I will say really quick before I even pass it off that mm-hmm. we plan to uh, check back in with all three yeah. of us at a certain yeah. point. Maybe we'll wait until the very end and just see what happened. Or maybe we'll do a halfway point and yeah. say, like, who's done what type thing. But actually, I would say a halfway point might be best. So that yeah. way. I'm not going to remember that we did this. Yeah, yeah just so that, that way. Yeah, we'll so, put it on the calendar. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pass it off to Tucson. Thank you. What? Would you like to uh, pledge? What would I like to pledge this year? I mean, I really enjoy... um, Nick and I watched uh, last year at Marin Band uh, a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017. Yeah. Because I was writing something that kind of like involved that. And I really enjoyed that. And the first criterion that I ever owned was Les Samorais by Jean-Pierre Melville. And I love that film. Um, And I've always been curious to learn more about... Um, French new wave cinema is like just because it seems like such a, a a founding point for the development of the contemporary language of cinematic cool. Like I remember like reading the um, the essay that John Wu actually wrote um, for uh, Les Samurais, where he was talking about like yeah before this film 
like most of the people who like lived where I lived, like they were just like rockabillies and like, you know, torn jeans and other shit like that. And afterwards, everybody had like slicked hair, nice haircuts and fucking suits. Mm-hmm. Like they just wanted to look Trench like coats. they wanted to look like Jeff Costello and Fuck, who wouldn't want to look like Jeff Costello, okay? Yeah. Yeah, that guy's well, fucking cool. Timing-wise, too, for you to bring up the French New Wave, I mm-hmm. will say it's kind of funny because we are possibly looking at an Oscar ceremony that's going to cut out uh, categories wow. for telecasts, yeah. such yeah. as editing. And French New Wave was one of the, that was one of their biggest things, was that well, some people would call it avant-garde i would just call it progressive yeah progressive and just actually splitting open and dissecting what you can do with film editing. right yeah can i say that i yes. think that they're going to change their mind on that i think it's possible because they've already buckled on so many like what happened entire... to the, what happened to the popular film oh, they, they caved on that right oh, really away. Yeah. That, 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 that and that's, came and went quickly. this has been in like a year of them announcing bad decisions and then going oh no we were just kidding maybe they should have like a focus group for this before they just rolled out it seems the like no the academy itself is their focus group, and it's just a bunch well, of like the, old, out of date white men who don't give a shit and call like uh, anime just like Chinese cartoons and other shit like that. So fuck the them. the cinematography decision is not going well. As yeah, that one's really a, stupid. Too. A lot of uh, very well known people, including their best picture winner from last year, have yeah. come out and said, "Fuck this, I'm not coming back." It's just really stupid. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone thinks. That the people who make up, the damn film. Well, I was going to say the audience who end up watching a three-hour telecast is going to be that much bothered by having to watch things that they actually care about. How about how about the fact that literally, if you did not include all of the pomp and circumstance, I would say, like you're cutting out about maybe three minutes. Yeah, there. I was going to say there's a lot you can actually trim from the yeah. telecast, but that's just stupid. Yeah, that's uh, that was that was probably not the best choice, and yeah. I think that's going to be changed. Yeah, we'll see. So anyway, I only brought that up because it just kind of reminded me of yeah. how fundamental something like right. the cinematic tool of editing right. is. Yeah. And French New Wave, I feel like, is one of the pioneers of actually like it goes for me when it comes to editing. It goes like Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. and then the French New Wave, right? Yeah, and then everything after. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like, um, and I've already seen Citizen Kane, so. Really, what I want to do is just like go through a primer of like some essential films for the French New Wave. Like, if if like the quick and 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 sort of a quick but comprehensive like primer of what encompasses the French New Wave and what do I need to know about that? Because we were actually out to dinner um, earlier tonight, and you mentioned a uh, a filmmaker who I never heard of before, who turns out to be. A yeah. progenitor for the French New Wave. I was going to say, wave. it kind of predates what we consider the French New Wave, yeah. but uh, everybody in the French New Wave clearly loved yeah. <laughs> John Vigo, and yeah. that's, that's the filmmaker I was talking And especially because he was kind of like a French New Wave, uh, what's his name from uh, A Rebel Without a Cause? actor uh james dean james dean yeah. as far as like he, he did so james, much he was the james dean of... <laughs> with so little time yeah and then he was immortalized in french cinema okay that's so, really interesting yeah so anyway um, um so my i guess my pledges for this year are i want to learn more about french new wave cinema which is an easy pledge to just like sort of like go after it's like just watch yeah. more films and talk more about them and learn about uh 
those those kind of filmmakers. I want to watch more films by Federico Fellini, especially okay. Eight and a Half. Yeah. And I especially this is a third one. Mm-hmm. So it's French New Wave. It's Federico okay. Fellini, and I want to watch more films by uh, Jacques Tati because okay. I really enjoyed Playtime, and I really want to watch uh-huh. Mon Ockel. Yeah. Like that is what I would call like cinematic architectural slapstick yeah. and that is precisely my shit if you need to borrow my Tati set please you may please let me borrow it because yeah. I fucking love his work I've I only, still I've have only not seen... dived into it beyond playtime which yeah. I also think is fantastic it's such a great it's um, such a great yeah. film yeah yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. So you, I played Soderbergh. I'm just recapping really quick. Okay. Soderbergh and Zadoichi, mm-hmm. and my co-host here, Tucson, has pledged French New Wave mm-hmm. Introduction Primer. Right. Uh, what was the second one? Um, just three. Federico three, Fellini. Three just films kind of by, a yeah. brief introduction. Yeah. To three films. And uh, the Jacques films Tati. of Jacques Tati. Yeah. Okay. That's five goals between the two of us, Alex. So. I only have one. That's, That's okay. fine, because I only asked all of us, myself included, to come up with one. Right. But I do think that my one... Yeah, there's a lot going on there, right. uh, duration-wise. Yeah. Uh, so, something I've always wanted to dive more into, um, but have never taken the time, other than catching a film here or there, uh, is to go through the entire... The entire filmography. I was going to say the entire. I was going to try to think of a <laughs> more fun word, but oh. the entire filmography of Marlon Brando. Hey. And I think that will be interesting for a couple reasons. Uh, so the most obvious reason is he's widely regarded as one of the greatest actors of all time. Mm-hmm. And I've mostly only seen his work other than like The Godfather. In, like, the time when it was going bad. Yeah, the time when he was just kind of past his, like... Yeah, it was, it was after Apocalypse Now had yeah. happened already, and, like, the fucks were no longer being given. Yeah. Even Apocalypse Now was kind of, like, stunt casting in and of itself. Not because it would be inconceivable that he would be in that movie, but because of his placement in that film, which is that he's not in it until the end. It's not a spoiler. It's a 40-year-old movie, mm-hmm. or 30-whatever. Yeah. Uh, that he Spoilers! Is, but he is the person that they are going to meet and mm-hmm. trying to get to the whole time, and then he's they get to him, and he's fucking crazy. Like That, I don't think he would have played when he was in his younger whatever. So I'm just saying, like even one of his most recognizable roles like that was toward the end of his career, even though he then still had about 20, 30 years to, uh, still in the tank. Yeah, well, it was actually a little... It was like, like 15... Well, I don't know. But there weren't many many major films for him. It was a lot of crap, actually, after yeah. that. Um, but I'm going to find all that out because I'm going to Hell yeah. go out of my way to watch every single one of his 39 films that he has. Um, and and we'll see. Some of them, obviously, will be uh, more interesting and easier to find and digest than others, like his earlier works, uh, like A Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, all the Elia Op- Kazan films like those are pretty much bundled and everything. Yeah. I mean, on the waterfront, I'm sure I could find anywhere I was wanting to look. Yep. But then some of his you know, works in the middle, before Godfather, when he was in a little bit of a downturn period, uh, might be a little more difficult. But at the same time, um, I think it'll be fun. And also, too, 
he is definitely an extraordinarily polarizing figure, uh, especially in Hollywood. So uh, it'll be interesting to... Especially after his death. Well, I mean... Yeah, he would have not done well in this climate. What? Why would you say that? Uh, <laughs> no, I genuinely, I'm with you in the sense that like dying was the best career. Oh, dude, <laughs> dying ever made. Yeah, no, he was uh, from all accounts shit. a terrible person. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to watch the films and also learn a little bit more about him. And then I think uh, it'll be fun to talk more about him. And I feel like I'll, I'm not going to be an expert, obviously, but I'll be able to have a much better opinion on him as an, as an actor uh, after watching all of his films. Can I add something really quick sure. to your goal, which mm. is just one instance of extracurricular mm. activity. Mm-hmm. When we, because I would like to watch Apocalypse Now with you mm-hmm. when you get to that point, mm-hmm. when we, around that time, and you don't have to do this in order, but anytime after Apocalypse Now, we should also watch Hearts of Darkness, uh, Heart <laughs> of Darkness, which is the documentary that Francis okay. Ford Coppola is more. It's more about Francis, but there are some some definite choice Brando scenes uh, of Francis and Brando. Uh, Not a little too similar of people. I've heard that Heart of Darkness actually arguably eclipses that of like. If you're more into that kind of. Right. It definitely. I mean, it's, it's up there as far as being one of the best documentaries of all time. Right. Yeah. Because of how uh, lightning in a bottle that is. So. Yeah. 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 So anyway. No, there's there's all kinds of fun stuff out there. If you want to look at Marlon Brando on set, specifically. <laughs> His uh, last film, The Score, which is he and Robert De Niro and our friend Edward Norton, uh, he routinely kept referring to the director, Frank Oz, as Miss Piggy on set. And apparently that did not go over very well. What? (laughs) Damn. Frank Oz should be proud. (laughs) It's fucked up, man. Also, Marlon Brando was roughly 400 pounds at that time. So that's Well, he played a walrus in that one movie. (laughs) He was a walrus-like... Walrus... Yeah, walrus-like warden. A walrus? A walrus? Anyway. Episode this episode has, is over. Episode hasn't oh. even started yet, and we're already going in. Yeah, that's that's how it usually goes here. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to hearing back from you guys too. And also too, uh, why I said anyone out there, if anybody has a, a thought on something that they've been wanting to do, they sh- absolutely should, and, and yeah. kind of report back to us on yeah. how it went. And tell what us the progress what, tell is. us what your goals are. Your, your your media media diet goals are. Expand your horizons. Sometimes all it takes is another pair of eyes watching you. Yeah, sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, I meant that actually to be profound, but it sounded way more creepy. No, yeah, no. it's profound and creepy. That's fine, but it's true. Now that sounded like some Cyberdyne shit from the Terminator movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Terminator, uh, the film we're talking about today is a James Cameron production in a way, ah. although uh, because he may actually be a genius. Uh, he's probably going to distance himself from this now. Um, and that is Alita Battle Angel, uh, which was actually directed by Robert Rodriguez, uh, who's done a lot of things like Planet Terror and Sin City and Spy, Spy Kids. From Dust Till Dawn. And the Machete films and From Dust Till Dawn. Can I just say... He's had a, a pretty wide-ranging career. If we were going to get a cameo, which we did, before it happened, I thought maybe George Clooney was going to pop up. 
considering they've always had that kind of tie ever since from dust till dawn of any you know he's the spy kid's dad and i just thought maybe that they were randomly gonna just show george clooney at a party up in uh solemn or whatever What's he, it called? he would Zalem. Zalem with a Zalem. z with a z yes okay. anyway it's like salem only with a z yeah. There's not there's nothing profound <laughs> about that. It's like it's okay. We both just went, oh. Yeah. So here we are and we've arrived at this film yep. which surrounds a deactivated female cyborg who is revived but cannot remember anything about her past life and then goes on a quest to find out who she is. So the film Lita Battle Angel stars Rose Salazar as Lita and features a pretty wide-ranging cast of characters around her, including Christoph Waltz, Jennifer Conley, Mahershala Ali, Ed Screen, or as you usually know him as, Francis from the Deadpool movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's that guy. Uh, Jackie Earl Haley. What? Yeah, he was the big guy. Who was, was he like, the Russia Yeah, whatever. The that's, that's, <laughs> I don't know what they were saying. Russia Shoshogon. I think that's the the guy that uh, Vinnie Jones was playing in the last X-Men movie. Dude. Pretty sure that's what that was. uh, I forgot who I thought it looked like. Oh, I thought it was Dave Bautista for a second. He would never be. Well, then he started speaking a lot more, and I'm like, no, it's not Dave Bautista. I mean, I thought it was somebody else who kind of had that kind of rounded face. But anyway, I'm done. Dave's better. And then there was one more performance here. Really good one. Not on the cast list. Uh, which is delivered uh, by a very spoilers pre- for yeah for this almost, movie. If you're listening to us, then you know that we're going to talk about spoilers. Okay, but I will say this: um, this is somebody who, for the most part, has flushed their career down the toilet in the last five years. Damn, what? Collateral Beauty was not that bad. We still need to watch that someday. We yeah. Do we? We're not making that I one. Mean, oh no, no, more, more for fun yeah. than to do an episode. That on. is our pledge. <laughs> that is not. That is not our pledge. That's not my pledge. <laughs> I am pledging all of us. I'm not. You're not going to do that. You can't do that for me. This is non-consensual pledging. Oh my god, <laughs> Alpha, Alpha, Alpha. Anywho, uh, Edward Norton makes an appearance at the very end of this film, and I guess at various times during this film, or was it not him? I mean, I think it easily could have not been. Uh, that makes sense. I have so much to talk about. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, he uh, basically is shown to be the puppeteer, the master puppeteer, if you will, uh, villain of this story, who uh, conceivably will be the major villain in the sequel that probably will not be happening. Yeah, true. So, um, Toussaint is, in all likelihood, the biggest... <laughs> part of this podcast that would know anything about Alita and the previous story. So I guess I'll let him fill in some background and then give his first thoughts on uh, this little film here. Okay. So for a little bit of background, um, if you've listened to this, you know that I watch a lot of anime and I write about anime and I basically know a shit ton about anime. Um, And I've read manga too, which is, you know, the Japanese equivalent of comics. Uh, Battle Angel Aelita was the first manga I ever read. Like, I remember... I think it's called Aelita Battle Angel. No, it's not. Not not in my universe, it isn't. Nope. 
How about that commentator? Here comes an angel. She's gonna battle. Yeah, Damn it. Let's, we're not gonna. Sorry, I just felt like doing that. Yeah, I know. Um, I know you did. Um, so like, I remember distinctly. Like, I can timestamp when I first encountered Battle Angel Alita because I was in junior high, walking around a Borders, going through some of the uh, the comic magazines and seeing like a loose leaf issue of like the sequel series to Battle Angel Alita, which was Last Order picking it up and reading it and be like, holy shit, this is awesome. Like, I want to, like, learn more about it. And I ended up buying, like, the first three volumes of that and then went back to the original series and read all of that. And I was like, holy shit, I like that. And that was sort of, like, the deep end point of me. Like, this was before Ghost in the Shell. This was before even Akira. Like, this is what sort of, like, set me on that path to eventually, like, um, like engage with uh, those other works, uh, those other contemporary works. And so, like... As a story and as a character, Aelita is um, something that I kind of like grew up alongside with, and that I really enjoy that character because it's she was like my everybody like of a certain generation of anime like watchers like there's the first like strong female protagonist, and for a lot of people it's other people, but for me it was Aelita. Like Aelita, I watching that character arc grow was really compelling and interesting. Do you know off the top of your head, at least just like a rough guess, unless it's still going, but yeah. like what's the most recent anything Alita has been published? Like is it something um, that's actually, yeah, like, still going or is it something that ended a long time well, ago? Well, it's interesting because um, Last Order ended in 2014, and that's okay. a lot of volumes. But now they're also doing um, the Battle Angel Alita Mars Chronicles, which basically – like at the beginning of the sequel series, it shows like her earliest memory where she was still sort of human. And then it jumps forward to like an alternate reading of like the ending of the original. And now this one is like all about when she was younger, how she survived this thing that happened and how she basically grew up as a refugee and eventually into a soldier on Mars. Okay. And that's like, like sort of like So for manga readers, yeah. so to speak, it, yeah. this hasn't really left the cultural conscious. I mean, you could have dropped it or whatever. Yeah, you but could. But this has been around right. and hasn't really like ceased. No, it hasn't really ceased at all. Like it's still ongoing to some extent, but like the main storyline yeah. as people know it, like I would always recommend um reading the original series and then starting with like the first couple of volumes of uh, Battle Angel Idea Last Order. It kind of dips off at, at a point, and you can just like circle back, whatever, for like some key points and shit like that. Only keep reading if you really want to. Yeah, the first couple of volumes of Last Order are the shit, and I love that. But then it kind of like goes off a deep end. Anyway, that's my background on Idea. So I have been following this project for about as long as it has existed. Like James Cameron has always been talking about it. You can like look at making of like photographs of him with the main guy like the the guy who plays the main character in avatar and there's literally james sam sam worthington sam worthington yeah. and there's literally a picture of james cameron wearing a shirt with battle angel Alita on there as far back as like when did that film come out oh nine oh nine like that's that's how far he's been like nurturing like this 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 dream project but he's already so need like neck deep divorce does a lot of crazy things to people yeah he uh he's he's already like neck deep into like the the four like the 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 avatar quadrology or something like that that's that's going on right now (laughs) that's one word for it yeah that's that's one word for it um we've only seen the first one but okay uh, it's been it's 
So gonna he, be over says, a decade since he says these next four are gonna be great. Uh, hopefully, Wait, yeah. Four. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm talking about. Oh, well, I was three or four. I yeah. thought it was three, but maybe okay. it, it doesn't matter. Moved to four. Next though. three, next. Fuck four. it, sextology or whatever. I don't care. Um, also, I forgot to mention, but uh, Michelle Rodriguez also makes an appearance. That's right. Yes. Where I kept, she was the the mother figure, mentor, mentor whatever, figure, whatever. Indie flashbacks. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I would have only. Now. I only picked up on that because of the weird face likeness, where it doesn't like look like her, but it does look like her, okay. and it was really creepy. It's an uncanny valley thing. Yeah. Going on. So I'm gonna try to like, I'm gonna try to split the difference and take like my knowledge about this source material and how I feel about this film. Yeah. Um, what I noticed and what's interesting to me, having watched this, is that it's sort of a split between adapting the first three or so volumes of the manga of the original manga and adapting the 1993 OVA, which is like a short animated thing where they made like two like hour long episodes and they split it in half. And it basically ends where Hugo dies at the end, which is what happens in the comic as well too. And it's really heartbreaking. And Jennifer Connelly's character, uh, Dr. Sheeran or whatever, she was an original character for the animated thing that doesn't show up at all in the comics. So that's sort of like where, it, it, it follows the structure of the, the the animated OVA, but it just drops in, like, stuff that never made it in there, like Motorball and, like, Nova and other shit like that. Now, that's interesting because mm-hmm. from a non-reader, viewer mm-hmm. of any past, whatever, right. uh, Motorball would have seemed like a huge deal yeah. in the – so you're saying it wasn't which one? the It wasn't in the, the animated oh, like adaptation. But it was in the manga. It was in, okay. it was in the – yeah. Ma- I thought it, you said the opposite. It, no, it's it's, like, it's a huge part you. of the manga. Like there's a whole arc like devoted to it. Which um, makes sense. Uh, but they just – it, it, it's it's typical of that. We're just like, oh, we're going to only have enough to make this one project. We're just going to cover this certain arc, and then like yeah. we'll see if it gets picked up. If it doesn't, whatever, it's fine. Um, but it's very interesting to see the multiple changes that this film has made from that source material because I feel like all in all, it's a very different beast than Ghost in the Shell, and it's ultimately much more respectful and much more interesting in its – in its respective differences because like when when the announcement came along that the actress who's playing Aelita, uh Rose Salazar yeah. was being casted, they it was sort of like the knee jerk reaction of like, oh, this is whitewashing and shit like that. Aelita's not Japanese. Um she's not anything really. Like she she even she may look Japanese, but I've already like gone on record talking about how like manga characters are not people they are basically a, a construction of lines and symbols that are meant to stand in representation of a person well, it's like saying and, spike from cowboy bebop is white exactly but, like, it's, but yeah. it, there, there's a lot to unpack out of this but really if we're we're going to sort of like dig into that we can't just look at what these characters look like we also have to look at respectively their interpersonal relationships their relationships uh, both pre- professionally and interpersonally, and how those are sort of shaped, like culturally, like as they 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 sort of like interact with one another, because it is it is denoted very differently, like respectively to like how uh, a, a Japanese child treats uh, their mother versus like how an American child might interact with their their parents. Like there there are subtle but very important differences that otherwise would be lost on like just. Americans that otherwise people who are part of those communities would be able to hone in on that. It's like, that's bullshit. Right, because do any of those communities exist in... In Battle Angel Alita? Right. Here's the thing about, about Battle Angel Alita is like, 
the scrapyard doesn't take place in Japan. It takes in the original comic that bar, Kansas. Yeah. That's actually a, a a a sort of on the nose like thing. It's like the scrapyard was built on the remnants of Kansas City, Missouri, in the far future, which is just fucking insane to me to think that the place that my father grew up would become the site of a fucking like like far future metropolis sprawl um but it's interesting that they change it to the uh to to south america um because it makes sense given that zalem is supposed to be like an orbital elevator and it's at the equator so it's our close yeah. it makes more sense to that can I yeah. give a thought? And <clears throat> I was thinking about this uh, right after we left the film. But uh, a film that this brought me back to and made me think about, uh, and I, I don't know if I'm onto something here or not, No. but a film that I was thinking about a lot comparing it to this mm-hmm. was the uh, Chris Evans film Snowpiercer. Um, and I don't know if that's right or wrong, but I think it does definitely have some comparisons because – the idea of them there being this kind of place that is untouchable and mm. that the people want to strive to be going to, but they're never going to go to. Right. That is almost certainly, if you got there, bullshit. Right. Um, I, I found very interesting. And when it's at the very end, when we see that the conductor is just this fucking stupid white guy. Just yeah. Like Ed Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it like was flooding to me the comparisons between these two, not necessarily because of content, but just right. because of the overall story and the structure of it. Right, like in the original, I've I've been rereading the manga like leading up to this, and it's like it's it's pretty much explicitly. What do you mean a leading up to this? Leading, <laughs> a, a leading up to this. Um, in the original manga, like the relationship between like the scrapyard and. Zalem is really lopsided. It almost feels like a a not so implicit dig at Western imperialism of like taking resources from other places and then just having this really like off off kilter like 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 balance of actually like giving things back to them and how they're subject to laws that are made by Zalem and they don't really fucking care so long as the factories keep on working. And it's like yeah, it was it was. Very, very interesting. Something that I, I sort of tangentially clued in on in my adolescent brain when I was a teenager that I was like, oh, wow, this is actually a lot more like explicit now that I'm like a grown-ass, like, woke-ass fucking adult. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that there are interesting uh, differences between this and its source material. I think that overall um, – I'm of two minds of it. I think that like the way that I've described it when when we left the theater is like you know if you took my feelings with regards to the RoboCop remake and my feelings towards Speed Racer and you took the average of those like that's sort of where I'm sitting at right now is like that I think the action is really awesome I think that a lot of the casting decisions are just on point um, some of the minor casting decisions I have like some problems with um, including that cameo. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of problems with that fucking cameo. Uh, but overall, I think that it's it's a pretty serviceable adaptation, and I wouldn't mind. Like my whole rule about films like this is that if I walk out of the theater and all I want to do is like buy the art book but never watch the film again, then that was a bad movie with good art direction. That's kind of how I felt about Aquaman. 
Um, but with this, I feel like I wouldn't mind. Uh, I I wouldn't mind like watching the film again, and I do want to buy the the, the art book. Um, I don't think that it's a particularly great film. I think it's a good film. I think it's serviceable, and it's there's not a high bar when it comes to American adaptations of anime. Um, I think really all you got to do is just not trip over yourself, and it managed to do it managed to step over the bar and over and trip over itself just a little bit. As opposed to just like flat out, just like face plant, like so many others that have come out the gate recently. Um, so that's kind of where I, I sit at with that, with my initial impressions. Um, remind me uh, to talk about Nova a little bit okay. later on. Yeah. So overall, I was, uh, I would say, pushing us to go see this, mostly because this is not my kind of movie, but at the same time, I felt like that the action for this film could actually be fantastic, mm. and I feel like I ended up somewhere in the middle with that, mm. um, and I'll get more into that here in a minute, but um, overall, I thought this film was very average. Yeah. Uh, very middle of the road. Uh, some parts were good. Some parts were not as great. Um, the chemistry between the characters seemed to not really exist. Hugo and Aelita. Yeah. yeah, that felt very... Um, that was mostly on Hugo, in my opinion. Yeah. If, I it, mean, the guy who played Hugo. It felt Hugo. very contrived, and I wasn't a fan of that. I feel like it could have been done better. I actually felt like almost all the relationships in the film felt like that to me. Mm. Even uh, the Doctor and Alita? Yeah, I actually think Christoph Waltz is cashing a check here. Did you see his interview that he did when he was talking about like 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 somebody tried to interview him for the Alita like press thing and he was like, Well, I can't tell you about my character and it's like, Well, <laughs> what do you mean you can't tell us about your character? That's the reason why we're here. No, my job is to act your job is to like watch the film and, and digest it. And I'm just like it was the most combative, passive aggressive bullshit. I'm just like, this man does like checked out the last day of shooting and he literally wiped his mind of all things related to this film. Like he gave no, no fucks. No. Neither did Mahershala Ali either. No. That's uh, it's they, I I agree, like I think they, her, uh, him, and Jennifer Connelly were yeah. on that level of just like yeah. they showed up. While I agree I'm not that, here. This isn't happening. <laughs> While um, Christoph Waltz was certainly, I would say, <laughs> beside the point, I thought he was good. And I mean, he witty. was okay. He was, he was fine. So fucking charming. I like him. He is. I want him to be my daddy. Okay, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> um, I think he can play that. Any day of the week, I don't. I didn't think he no, brought anything saying. special to the table this is here. Something to like put in the highlight reel. Mahershala Ali's death scene was <laughs> fantastic. Oh, that looked fatal. <laughs> yeah, I kind of getting tired of this body now. <laughs> Falls over and just dead. Yeah. Um, I missed my dick. Yeah. Boy, you talk about a guy who's like post Oscars, like looking for the highest bidder, like. I don't know what he got paid for this movie, but it was too much. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, um, and what's weird is that, like, um, again, like, sort of like circling back to the source materials, like, as far as like casting people who look like that character, that was spot on. Yeah. Like, but he just didn't give a fuck. So, yeah. I um, overall though, the the biggest 
um, the biggest strength for me, and I've mm-hmm. got the biggest strength and the biggest weakness of the yeah. film. The biggest strength for me is that I feel like this was actually a Robert Rodriguez film, yeah. which um, I was really happy about. Like, I feel like this wasn't something that he showed up to do a Marvel film. They said, here's what film you're going to make. Uh, I think he actually made a film that was fun bad here, in my opinion. Even though there were parts of it that are genuinely good, um, I think the parts that are silly and stupid are kind of on purpose. Um, And I I quite enjoyed that. Um, A lot of little details here, uh, like when Francis has his face cut off. My face! Uh, That was fucking awesome. And I, I thought he had a lot of fun with it, and it showed through in the film, and it made me have fun in those spots. I mean, I already mentioned the Mahershala Ali death scene um, and the, the face-cutting-off scene, but a lot of other little details like that throughout this film were pretty wonderful. Um, the the glue between the different scenes of this film and the transitions between different scenes, I thought were terrible. Yeah. Like the, there was no connectivity between anything in this film. You would go from one set piece just immediately to another. And there would be, there would be, and then randomly it would just do fade outs for no reason as if to think like this was really going to convince us that this is like a organic new chapter, but, but there was no, there, it's not even like a new chapter. It's just a completely different story from what you were just reading. Like, It's almost like you're watching an anthology series in a film. It's almost and, like and you're trying to cram three volumes of like like separate stories into two hours. But but you didn't rewrite it. Yeah, you didn't rewrite <laughs> it. Just, you didn't rewrite it, did you? You didn't do it. James Cameron's literally just sitting there like looking and seeing he only has six hours to write this script. And he's just copying and pasting over yeah. and over and over. And he's just like, here it is. Yeah. Genius. God damn. Yeah. You're James Cameron. You could ask for an extension. Apparently not. I mean, I guess he can. He goes 14 years in between movies. I think movies. he's a little busy right now with the, the Avatar movie. Fuck that. Under the sea. <laughs> so, I, I will say, though, when this film wanted to do action, it did a really nice job. Uh, the bar scene was fucking awesome, I thought. Yeah. And, I don't I think anything that. ever lived up to how well done that was, which is unfortunate because that was in the middle of the movie, and you would think they would save the best for the end. I thought... Um, and, and, and I thought that that was really the peak. Did you not like the um, qualifying, like, motorball tournament? I actually thought that I that fucked was... with that. I really... I actually... Like, I like... I felt like I saw someone actually able to understand anime visually yeah. and put it up on the screen yeah, in the live yeah. action context. I, I enjoyed... The, the same K- way Wachowski did. Yeah, the Kansas bar bar scene was dope. I liked that a lot, and I really liked the qualifying uh, motorball tournament thing. But other than that... Like, I say that mostly uh, to agree because of the fact that none of the previous motorball scenes were really doing anything no, for me. Weren't. So when that one came... I felt like they actually did save their best stuff. I just thought the action and the movement was so fluid for that. So I would actually say, personally, that for me, that that was actually just as fun as... Okay. Can- like, I like yeah. I liked them both, basically. Mm. I got you. So. The- I, I guess the, the problem for me is that um, there's really no action sequences in the last 15 to 20 minutes of this film, no. which is really yeah. odd. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And the way that they sped up with the the time lapse of her like being at the end of this whole tournament thing, I was like, I think like 
I was wondering how they were that gonna was, end the that movie. Was, that was, was like, fucking. Oh, that was really. End the movie. They should have really just ended it with her like hanging there. Like I feel like that would have been. I I I I get how that would be sort of like anticlimactic, but the end they picked was like even more anticlimactic. Would they, would they, yeah, but like comparing the two, it's just it's just such a fucking awful like. But here's the problem, <laughs> and this is I mean. This other film I'm going to mention has a lot of other issues, too, mm-hmm. and is way worse than this. Um, but that's the problem with things like this or Independence Day Resurgence, where uh, your entire third <clears throat> act only works if you make another movie after it. Yeah, and it doesn't. And if it, do- if it does, if you don't, it just is nothing. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, it feels like something that... This whole film feels like, wow, we're only going to get one of these. So let's just cram as much shit as we can towards the end. But I don't and, think they thought that. There's no way they could have. And, and it's just, that's just like the impression that I get. That's just the impression that I get uh, from watching the film and like knowing the um, – the, the source material Wait is like no, no, they're no, abbrevi- no, no, they're no, abbreviating no. a lot of shit and putting all okay. the stuff in there. It's like and you're saying about the connective tissue of this, right? Yeah, hey guys, it's okay. No, yeah. this no, is but just wait. a little yeah. battle angel. Fuck, Jesus. Okay, yeah. So so why why would you close your movie with a reveal that a former Hollywood A list actor is the villain if you are not planning to make another movie just for kicks? Just because they wanted to show Nova. <laughs> Just because they wanted to show Nova, no. and he's a, I, I think Come that on. I, I think that it, it's it's half of like okay, we want to leave this open if we actually do have the chance to make a sequel, and if not, at least that that's why I think this whole fucking contrivance about Nova because he was never nearly as central as a as an antagonist in the original source material as he was in this, and they literally mood fucking mountains. To make him like the big bad for this, and I think that the only I don't think they did that much effort because they just had people pretend to talk as him. Yeah, and, exactly. And have blue eyes. Exactly. That was the movie Mountain. That was like moving little sandcastles <laughs> and doing a very bad job. <laughs> did a bad job moving fucking sandcastles, but it's just like they they put so much effort just to make this one cameo, and it's and it's and it's fucking confounding to me because. I I would agree there. I think the effort is in concealing the identity, not so much as as to building the no. the, the the villain up. I don't no, I don't I don't, don't want to like interrupt like Alex's like opening like remarks in this shit. But can I talk a little bit about Nova? Yeah, I was I was done. I thought this was pretty down the middle. So please go. Yeah. Ahead. Okay. So here's here's my problem with with that casting. This is really fucking weird to me because when I saw the casting for Battle Angel Alita, like. I lead a battle angel, whatever the fuck. Um, I saw that Christoph Waltz was being cast as as Ido. And I was like, wait a minute. I went back and read it, and I was like, wait a minute. Ido in the original comic is like in his late 30s, early 40s. Why the fuck are they casting Christoph Waltz? And I was like, Christoph Waltz would make a really good, like, Desti Nova. Um, and I was like, maybe I just have to watch this and see. And then I learned that fucking Edward Norton is playing Desi Nova. And I'm just like, when did you learn that, by the way? I learned it like right before. Okay. Like I, I didn't, I, I wanted to like, I saw an article that said that cameo and, uh, right. But that, I didn't that was actually it. read the article. Yeah. So I was with you, Alex, in the right. sense that I didn't know, but 
A, what character, or B, right. what actor. I knew that there was going to be a cameo of some sort, but okay. I did not know it was going to be that. Right, and, yeah. and it's such a weird casting decision to have, to basically just age-reverse these two characters, respective to one another, and then to, like, paint Nova as, like, this overarching, immortal, like, big bad when that's not what what he is in the original and what makes him interesting. Like... The Nova in the original manga is like one of the – generally one of the scariest villains I've ever come across in popular fiction. Like if I was trapped in a bunker between Hitler and Mussolini and Desi Nova. Which one would you fuck? And I had a gun that only had two bullets. Oh I would double tap Desi Nova. Wow. One, because that guy is a fucking motherfucker. And two, he is allergic to staying dead. That's why. He what? He's allergic to he's, staying uh, what dead. I, what I mean is that so he, he would waste he, your bullets. He and doesn't fucking then let the Holocaust. He, he happen? doesn't fucking die. We're trapped in a bunker. He's not like nobody's leaving out of there alive. Not while I'm there. Well, it sounds like it because you, you wasted bullets. your bullets. Nah, nah. Um, I I will say this. This is twofold for me. First of all, this I thought was. Like when he took his glasses off and it was revealed to be... I mean, you only have a split second to see him, but it was clear who that was. Yeah, it was. It was, and yet there's <laughs> still confusion dumb. in your brain when you process that <laughs> was, moment. Why is he here? Because I had to make why sure Why is that, he here? Like, it was one of those things where all I had to do was look to my left to see if you and I were having the same facial expression. <laughs> because I knew that if you were, that it meant we were seeing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But if you were, like, nonplussed or not, then I'd be like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm not seeing Edward Norton. No, it was I guess, but I guess I am seeing Edward Norton on the screen right now. Here's the thing. That guy is such a prick. Yeah, yes. What roles he chooses, and he does this? Yeah. What? He does a half-assed version of, like, one of my favorite villains of all time. Thanks a like, lot, asshole. Like, did he owe someone a favor? Like, I... I want you to play with my balls. <laughs> wow. Like... I know it was just a roast, but he literally went on a tirade against Marvel for the most part during the Bruce Willis roast last year, saying, "Well, just I want you to make better films. Is that such a big deal?" And he's fucking doing this. Yeah. God damn it! Wow, what a fucking. Dick. He's kind of an asshole. What a presumptuous dick. <laughs> what a presumptuous fucking dick. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not pleased with 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 that at all. Um, I think that making. Like Nova, a, a central big bad, kind of deflates and takes away from what made him so interesting in the original. Like just to, just to again cram in more fucking uh, more of the shit that you haven't read before and that you don't know of. Like in the original manga, like he's not the boss of Zalem. He's actually a guy who threw himself down that fucking shaft where all the garbage goes down because he wanted to have the freedom to live in the scrapyard and basically do experiments that he wouldn't be allowed to do in Zalem, which is yeah. which is really fucked up considering the fact that Zalem is basically this huge libertine laissez-faire laboratory where they experiment on their own citizens. So what the fuck kind of like ethical conflicts were you coming up against if you got barred from experimenting on shit in Zalem. That's what makes him so fucking terrifying. So let me ask you this real quickly. I know Nick hasn't even gotten his, his initial thoughts yet. Well, I don't give a shit. <laughs> well, that, there's your initial thoughts. Yes, Alex. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, if you had 
the ability to decide if there was going to be an Alita sequel or there wasn't going to be, would you be interested in seeing what that would look like with Edward Norton playing the key villain and however the story progressed through? Oh, fuck. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Nah, I don't. They killed Vector, and Vector is like a major character later down the line. Like, he has a whole arc on his own. He had the best line of the film, I thought, uh, where he was saying something about, you know, why go up there and be a peasant among in heaven when you could be the king of hell or something Yeah, that's, like that. a, that, that's from John Milton. That, that's Paradise Lost. Like, literally yeah. the best line in this, fucking, <laughs> in this fucking film is literally borrowed from a piece of, like, classic fucking literature about, like... Fucking Satan falling down from from heaven and like ruling in hell. James Cameron copy and paste. Come on. Yeah, literally. Um, like I I I honestly just don't believe that this will get a sequel. Oh, that, that wasn't my question. Uh, <laughs> would I go see a sequel? You know, you would. Do you want there to be a sequel? If I you had the I choice? I would, but I don't. I don't want this. Okay. I don't. Okay. I don't want Edward Norton to be Nova because just. Just from the faint glimpses that I've gotten from him and knowing, like, sort of his his demeanor, his his rapport as an actor and, like, what he does in his more eccentric roles, like, he just doesn't – Christoph Waltz would have been such a fucking good Nova and that's what fucking pisses me off about this. Like, you, you, you think about the scene at the beginning of Inglorious Bastards where he's like, au revoir, Shoshana. Like, that's that kind of theatricality. That Nova brings that would have been really fucking cool. Pulling out the excessively large. To be pipe. fair, I feel like, and I have no. Yeah, pretty much. He's a fucking like 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 Looney Tunes like character mixed with a fucking sociopath. Oh, okay. I will say uh, because I have, as someone who has no right. connection whatsoever with uh, yeah. any original property here. That was why I enjoyed Christoph Waltz, whether he phoned it in or he didn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that his character stayed pure and good was actually fun to watch because I've always thought him to be a charming person. That's who Ido is. Right. So as much as, like, he may be a good Nova, I feel like he's been, quote-unquote, Nova in so many memorable roles that – not that Edward Norton should. No, there's there's um, so many other actors. You can I guess find I was just happy by that kind of inspired bit of casting, where like actually, who uh, myself and Alex thought Nova possibly was from very brief glimpses, like that could have been another kind of vein in that vein of casting where we both thought it was uh, Will Forte. Kind of looked like with it the goggles did. on, yeah. yeah. With, when the long right here, where it's someone who can do theatricality, but almost in a sinisterly absurd way. Yeah, that's that's pretty much that's so, that's that's no. Like, what if MacGruber had a brain? Yeah, that's that's Nova to a T. You had a very nice comparison that we were talking about at the very top of the episode. Uh, do you want to fill the? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yes, please. Um, when you get to that final reveal, if you have seen. Will Ferrell in Eastbound and Down as the character of uh, Ashley something. Um, if if you've seen uh, any episode with that character and you don't immediately think that that's exactly what uh, Edward Norton looks like, here, particularly the scene in which Will Ferrell's character in that show talks to uh, Kenny Powers about how his son walked in on him and his wife making love. And he, he said, I said, no, let the boy stay. I, uh, <laughs> like, okay, I, so, I can't so, get so, that out so of my circling, mind. Circling back to this, like talking about, 
Ido. Like, what's interesting about like how Ido's backstory works in in this film, where they made it that he and Shirin were married and they had a kid named Ailita. And it sounded he, like that's not. A, that's not because when you not. said that, I was surprised because I thought that that was the whole. When I said that um, Sheeran's not a major character, right. in the, yeah, that's I'm like the, so. How can the entire emotional crux of this character in the movie, yeah. be that if so? It's kind of like what connection does uh, the Doctor even have to it, Alita, or did, does he what, lose what, a daughter? Just not no, 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 no. It, okay. It's not. It's not like that. In the in the anime adaptation, Sheeran is an original character who's basically like an ex of Ido, who also got exiled from from Zalo, and she's trying to get back up there. On her own, she's like, do you want to work with me? I was like, no, I don't want to work with you. I'm trying to just, just live my life down here. And the whole – the thing about, like, Aelita getting her name, she was named after a cat that Ido had that ran away and died. And so, like, it's – I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting that way. But, but without the daughter, without the whole daughter aspect of thing, like, the reason why Ido becomes a hunter, warrior, or whatever, and starts hunting for bounties and shit like that – one part is to keep his uh, his clinic still open. Yeah, I mean, he mentioned that in there. So. <laughs> and and the other part is that a part of him is 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 sort of addicted to the killing. Yeah, kind of just like just kind of just like just 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 trying to like vent this this yeah, I mean, this catharsis out of him. They're all in a very. They're all in a very like dark Oppressed, place, yeah. right? And so this is sort of Makes like sense. his outlet. Where he's such a good guy most of the other time, this is his way of like taking it out on people who are fucking awful. Uh, did they ever mention in the manga, or at least, did they ever hint at the idea of like some kind of uprising? Like I know that yeah. Zalem is like up in the sky. There is, but it just seems like if yeah. they have that kind of weaponry, there's a there. there's a huge <laughs> there's a huge uprising that happens. Okay. And it's interesting because it's separated by many degrees from machinations that Nova was a part of. Nova is like all of the major antagonists that Aelita faces like earlier on, whether they eventually are just like monsters or they're people who eventually like become friends or mentors of Aelita. Mm-hmm. They've crossed paths with Nova at some point and their lives have changed significantly because of the ways that Nova has sort of like brushed against them. Not even like thinking that they were like, not even like trying to be a puppeteer, but just like, Oh, I made this thing. It's like, you can use it if you want. Like he's kind of like the, the, the devil on your shoulder being yeah. like, Oh, maybe this one might be a good thing. Just whispering your ear. Okay. That's why I would double tap that motherfucker. Um, but Nick, yeah, Nick, please. You haven't even gotten a chance. To oh, yes. I, go thoughts, so I mean, please. Yeah. I, I guess I'll say, um, this is not for me, and yet I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, which is not to say that I really liked it, but I was surprised by how much I was liking it from scene to scene. Just as far as the visual virtuosity on display, yeah. and I thought uh, Robert Rodriguez has actually keyed in onto one of the uh, competent ways to uh, draw up uh, anime style mm-hmm. stories onto the big screen in a live action context. Like I actually think that that was its best asset. Like it kind of made me see what could be possible in a world that would uh give him money and not the Rupert right. Sanders of the world. The ac- of the ac- in the shelf. Yeah, the acrobaticism of Aelita 
is so uncanny to that of the actual manga yeah. that I was really pleased with that because it just shows like how proficient she is as a combatant because yeah. like I'm not used to seeing that kind of combat in a film and I'm just like that's yeah. part of the reason why I like Aelita so much is because she can really kick some fucking ass like yeah. she's really good at fighting that's and it comes through yeah. so yeah no and I like that too and I like I guess what I also liked is that that this movie really juxtaposes uh, how far technology has come in, in movie making you have scenes that uh, kind of blew me away personally when like you just kind of see Alita's eyes up close as she's blinking as she's first getting to know her new body and whatnot. Mm-hmm juxtaposed with scenes like the action scenes, which I thought looked more cartoonish and not in a bad way, where instead of trying to go for ultra-realism, they, I think, held back on detail and made it... More stylized. Yeah, more effort into the actual fluidity of the characters Mm -hmm. than in the uh, Vista you're watching, and I thought that was perfect. I thought that that's kind of what the medium does already, which is like, you know, the, the up-close panels gives you what the characters look like, mm-hmm. but when they are just, uh, when they are these kind of cogs in the action machine, mm-hmm. they become these kind of figures of movement that I thought that Rodriguez uh, nailed throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say every action scene was great, but I just, the style I thought was good. And um, I was kind of, I just thought this was a weird little blockbuster because yeah. I thought that usually a movie that's this ambitious with that kind of a budget, like the batting average lately for these kind of projects have just been shit. You know what I mean? Like it's just like, okay, I'll try. <laughs> but, what would you, what would you compare? I mean, that, the obvious to? comparison is something like Ghost of Michelle, but, uh, it's there's so much better. Than I was going to say, but, and, and that's not saying a lot. No, um, but even if we go, like, I won't name the two movies that I quite enjoy, uh, like Jupiter Ascending and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. Those films have very, I haven't seen Valerian. Those I are need, made by I'm, auteurs. Okay. Yeah. Let me just put that out there. Just like Rodriguez. Very. Like, you may not like it, but would, would you they're com- made by singular minds. Would you compare this, uh, I know content-wise you wouldn't. Um, but would you compare the kind of structure in this film to something like Watchmen? What do you mean by that? Uh, just by the way that this moves through and moves between its story and also this this connection between this, uh, trying to create this connection between this um, that, anim- an- animated world. So I did, I did think if it was really weird during the flashback scenes of I Lead on the Moon that they played Bob Dylan... Come gather around, people, wherever you roam. <laughs> oh. You're making fun of my. Ass. I know. I'm not. I just. I just. I thought it would be really fucking funny if that was true. If they actually like showed her entire past, <laughs> just soundtrack to fucking Bob Dylan. Like, First of all, it's not fucking Bob Dylan. It's uh, Bob Dylan, uh, one of the greatest recording artists of all. time. One of the best fucking recording artists of all time. You could say it. That was a bad comparison. No, <laughs> I. No, no, no. No, I that would be hard for me to answer, good or bad, because at least recently when I watched Watchmen for the first time, actually, um, I brought the entire uh, graphic novel uh, to that, whereas mm-hmm. here I don't have that. Right. So I don't know as far as translation-wise. Um, I, I wasn't reminded of that particularly, good. no. But when I watch Watchmen, I can't watch it as a film. Like, it is kind of hard 
for me and anyone else, I'm sure, who's read it. Now I'm I'm so glad that you understand where I'm coming from. I didn't with hate this. it to be. I honest. know, but but it's just like it, it's a competent adaptation, but it can never truly encapsulate what I the appeal of that original work is. Now that you've actually read it, you I understand. And I would actually say that its competence is one of its biggest. Like flaws. Yes, because it just <laughs> proves what Alan Moore said is that if you adapt a film like a fucking you started this, if you would, if you adapt the fucking comic and you literally just take every single fucking panel and that's and those are your storyboards, you can capture that image, but it doesn't actually capture the experience of actually like engaging with that as an actual like as an actual text as a as, as an actual tactile except text. for the first ten minutes. Yes, that was like the opening. I'd agree. Yes. Because there he is actually conveying, I would say, the sentiments and right. the uh, passage of time and everything. But after that. But once I... he gets into the actual meat of the plot. Exactly. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Anyway. We're just, we were... <laughs> um, we're going we're to do an episode on that eventually. We have to, yeah, we have to do an episode on that Maybe, eventually. Uh, now that I've got it out of my system as far as I read it and I watched it, maybe we can wait until the HBO series. Ooh. Yeah. And then maybe we'll do like a little double whammy, do the Ooh. pilot and the movie. Ooh, okay. let's do Just it. kind of a little fun Ooh. little... Is that, get... is that not going to be It's this year. It is this yeah. year? Okay. I, they okay. haven't announced a date, but they say it's 2019. So. Okay. All right. Um, so, yeah, overall, I was like, it's, it's like I'm not going to give it really a positive rating, but I was surprised that for a movie that did feel too long, I was pretty much engaged with it, and I thought that that's because this... As much as I joked before I saw it that it was going to be a James Cameron film poltergeist situation, uh, I definitely think this is actually a Robert uh, Rodriguez film. And part of that is because I think that this actually reminded me of when I was a kid and saw Spy Kids, which was this film that had such a uh, singular visual mind and yet didn't really talk down to children because I could actually see a my teen self watching this and like eating it up yeah. just for being something that's... Uh, both not too mature that I wouldn't have really gotten anything out of it, but yet also not too childish to as to like try to trick me into, um, I don't know, thinking that it was more serious than it was. There was some actual themes here at stake, and there was some character beats that I was uh, pleasantly surprised by. The original manga like gets way more like explicitly philosophical and like deals with like really interesting hard like speculative science but actually flirting with actual hard science scientific concepts that were like oh i'm actually kind of like learning some shit right now i can see that yeah one thing i liked about this was that because it was based on a property uh i always feel like when you do that uh there is like the 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 film you're watching is essentially a pool and when it's uh when it's based on a pre-established property from a different medium the it is up to the director to make the sh- uh the shallow end longer than a normal film because right. you shouldn't have to swim on your own yes. until you are given you know everything you need exactly. and i actually think this film did convey its world its characters mm-hmm. and its uh, conflicting motivation maybe clumsily maybe not effectively whatever but i was never confused when i was watching this and that's like a huge leap forward in uh, a- adapting yeah. something like japanese manga yeah it, 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 it conveyed these themes very like cogently where I already brought my my knowledge base to it but I was really surprised with how much ground they were able to cover and they were able to talk about this lot of stuff and it's just like it was it was really effective broad strokes another thing that I kind of want to mention with regards to, this, done, so, yeah. to the scrapyard 
um, mentioning the whole like change from Kansas City, Missouri to like South America was how much they seized on that opportunity to change the location and they took sort of the 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 broad stroke aesthetics of the original scrapyard in the manga and in the anime and they sort of mixed it with more interesting like not even flavor notes but just like actually integrating like aspects of mesoamerican and like aztec like imagery and stuff like that from that sort of area and it just it looks different and distinct and interesting and i really like that take on it like the the like the back design of zapan where it has like that aztec like death like calendar on, on the back of it and i'm just like that was a really inspired design that sort of like clues into like what the sort of like gaudy gaudy personality of zapan is but like sort of transposing it into this new version of of the scrapyard and it's just like it's really that that that's that kind of shit that makes me want to buy the art book. Like I like that. So, yeah. But other than that, um, I didn't really think anything of the score. Um, it, it just sort of like it was there. I guess I can't really remember it. Um, and... I mean, I give any score uh, paired with this kind of genre at least some credit for not sounding like a Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Um, like, when I was listening to it, it had personality. I can't necessarily right. remind you what scene or whatever. As long as it doesn't get in the way of the film, yeah. like, that's that's really what... That's actually the current trend for me right now. Is like, if I'm remembering a score, it's usually a bad thing. Yeah. I think the only thing I'll say about this score is the only thing I remember about it is that it's pretty uneven. Yeah. Like, yeah. it has different tones. Oh, yeah. There's different some weird, scenes. like... Angelic, haha, because she's an angel. Well, uh, it, like it, Super Smash Brothers, like <laughs> arriving to the stage. Brawl! But that being said, I feel like there's different composers in different scenes, and that's how yeah, I guess different the score was depending on which scene we were in, which was kind of weird. Yeah, I uh, I thought the CGI here, and I think that that's where I'm a little bit out of my league, is that I feel like it was supposed to look that it was going to look. It's not supposed to look like you were saying, Nick. It's not supposed to look ultra real. It's supposed no, to look... but I'm saying they made that decision. Which is which is fine. Right. Yeah. Because as long as you're committed to it... Because there have been yeah. some shitty movies as of late that have tried to spend their budget in... For me, it's kind of movies like Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, or... Which and I'm not saying that there aren't some good scenes and something like that, but just movies where that's what they're going for. And if you're trying to do that across an entire two hour, whatever, you just we we're not there yet. No, we're not. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, hmm. I appreciated the choice to scale down uh, in an effort to capitalize on storyboarded action. Mm -hmm. I would agree. So, moving on to uh, final ratings, I think I'll go first. Yeah, okay. I've, I've got probably the uh, the least in terms of experience with uh, this this yeah. medium and uh, anime, manga, whatever you want to yeah, say. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I'm going to just go right down the middle and give this a two and a half out of five. That's fair. Uh, I thought this was very... That's more generous than I thought you would give it. No, I thought this was not that bad. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I really didn't think it was anything special, but at the same time, I, I would... I would actually lump this in somewhat, even though I think I gave this a higher rating, somewhat with the uh, really random uh, uh, Matt Damon film from a couple of years ago called The Great Wall that was not mm. good, but at the same time, I, I think was entertained. About that, film. that 
can't be a bad thing, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, like, in my fantasies. <laughs> um, and there aren't very many comparisons. I just want there I, to be a wall. No, I just... Oh, God. Oh, God. You I went just, there. did this to myself. You went there. Yeah. Yeah. No, but um, both this film and, and that one uh, brought me some entertaining action sequence and fun different attempts uh at their genre mm. um and even if they didn't hit the mark at least it was a try and it wasn't just the same old story over and over again where i do think this does have something original to say uh but at the same time uh, this misses the mark in quite a few areas so it's a uh, middle of the road two and a half out of five for me for alita battle angel yeah I'm going to go really yeah. quick mm-hmm. and say that I'm going to echo that statement hey. and give it a two and a half out of five because okay. I really was not expecting to, like, I I got a t- nice tall beer before I uh, tall beer. <laughs> sound, uh, sat, down, <laughs> sat down for this movie. And um, I was close to dozing off in the middle. Close. That's fair. Didn't do it. That's fair. Um, Basically, like, right after the bar fight, I was like, okay, I can go to sleep now. Uh, <laughs> right when she's about to fucking bite the guy on the fucking, like... Yep. Yeah. And, um, but I didn't, and then by the end of it, I was back up, and so I was surprised by how engaging I thought this was, despite the fact that it is not for me, right. by me, mm. or from me. Uh, those are the immortal words of Vin Diesel when talking about our beloved... Paul Walker, R.I.P. Those last two are the same Is anyone thing. else noticing this? Oh. How beautiful she is, huh? Uh, huh? Don't talk about it. I leave it that way. You can have any beer as long as it's Corona. Come on. Come on over here. Uh, look at my puffy coat. Family. Some people say I look like Pitbull. Yeah. <laughs> the buster came back. I am Groot. Would you like to be Groot? He has never asked anybody that. I hope. I mean, you saw him, so... I did? You saw him in that video where it was just like, I wouldn't put it past him to like try to incorporate that into his fucking shit. What does he yell in the the Fate of the Furious at Charlie Saran across the glass? Um, He... I've got no choice! Maybe it was. No, it's something. It's something. Anyway, it was a great line. Even if I can't remember it... It's it's a good one, yeah. Right there. When uh when uh, speaking of that that whole scene with like Charlize Theron, like when Charlize Theron shows in the picture and everything yeah. like that, somebody I follow on Twitter um took that scene and it's like yeah when Jeff Bezos is confronted with his uh with with, with his blackmailer with his blackmailer, it's like oh yeah you're gonna you're gonna do anything I say because they're gonna be confronted with something that they don't know anything about. It's like you. <laughs> it's like what the fuck. Yeah. Um, so this is for me is very strange. It's a very strange, uh, position to be in just because of how close I am to the source material. Like I'm obviously going to be overlooking some, uh, some stop gaps that otherwise people who aren't as like familiar with this would, would be able to notice and spot in that way. I agree with you in terms of the editing. I think that it's really shoddily pasted together and doesn't really have any type of connected tissue. And that's sort of kind of. It mirrors a lot of the fact of the of the original source material because these were individual issues that were sort of like cemented with time and space and they had more room to actually like tell this sort of story, but that doesn't really work within the format of a uh, 
of a feature length film. I don't want to give this a three, uh, and I don't want to give this a two and a half. So I'm gonna some trying to split it somewhere in the difference. I don't know. Don't you do it? Don't don't I fucking do it? Don't you fucking do it? Don't you fucking do it? Um, I'm gonna give this like a two point six seven. No, two point two point two point seven five. Two point seventy five. Holy shit! Yeah. One hundred eighty-three episodes, and we are now splitting our rating system. I know. So. Like, um, uh, I guess if I have to round it up. No, no, you did that. You opened that door. You know what? I'm not gonna open it. No, you opened you it. No, no, I didn't. It's too late. No, yeah. I did. No, I did. Security protocols dictate that. No, that no doors cannot be closed. Open the box. No. Uh, I didn't even so know I was opening a box. Two point seven five. Uh. We should put from, this on the internet. From two sides. Two and yep. three quarters. Yep. Two and three quarters. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Not nine and three quarters. Two and three quarters. Nope. It's definitely not a nine. Not a Johnny Depp film. Nope. That would have been great if he was revealed to be. <laughs> I would die. <laughs> There's only the, that if, if, if it turned out that he was Dusty Nova, I would just die. I mean. And this would be like less than a one. Johnny, like that would have literally tanked the entire fucking film. Johnny for me. Depp is in rare air. He found a way to kind of ruin Harry Potter for a little bit. I don't think it's not all Johnny Depp's fault. I think part of it is J.K. Rowling's fault too. Um, probably so. Yeah, but he's gonna be the fall guy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, there's. I'm of the opinion you take the first films and then you take the books like the primary books and you just corn that off from like jk rowling her fucking shenanigans as of late and these fucking films as as, as well too i know that you like the first one this ain't it chief this ain't this ain't it chief i get that i get yeah i still enjoy the first one yeah i uh, I, I will know. say this i still have not sought out the uh, second one and don't plan to yeah because uh no this ain't it chief yeah yeah in Kansas anymore. Yeah. So if you out there have any <laughs> thoughts on Alita Battle Angel, you can always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. What are we thinking for uh, next Wednesday? Is anyone available next Wednesday? Whoa. What is our next episode? I am available. We want to do Happy Derf Day too? I mean, he hasn't I've... seen the first one. Who hasn't? You we, haven't. Yeah, I have. You has. have. He watched mm-hmm. it with Kenny the other day. Oh. Um, well, I mean, four months ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm... Do you want to do a double episode on both films? Yeah, I could do that. Happy Death Day and Happy mm-hmm. Death Day to you. Yes. Yeah, I can do that. Happy yeah. Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. Yes. Happy Death Day. Shut the fuck up. Yes. Happy Death Day to you. Oh my you. God, I'm... What? I'm repeating myself. No, you you need to stop repeating yourself. Yes, we're doing... We're doing the, the first Happy film. We're Death doing the first Day. film and then we're doing the sequel. Are you trying to like coach him into saying it? No, he's trying to repeat it over and over again. Okay. Repeat what? No, you don't get to do that. Happy you don't don't get to do that. So, are we gonna get together to see it on Wednesday and then do? I probably can't do that because, okay. well, I mean, if you guys, well, I guess we're <sighs> discussing things now, not just yeah, on the yeah. podcast. Here's my thing: I'm seeing it on Sunday. And I'm guessing it's not a film that I actually would mind seeing again, so it's not that's a problem. But 
if you guys can see it before Wednesday, like I don't get off until six o'clock usually on Wednesday. I got off early today. Okay. So it might be a belabored whatever. However, if you guys can only see it Wednesday, I would obviously join if possible to see it Wednesday. Okay. So, um, either so or. do we want to do that or we want to do something else? Or? It doesn't matter to me uh, in particular. Okay. I think it'd be a pretty short episode if we did it. All right, let's just plan for it then. Okay. okay. So coming up on our next episode, uh, we're going to do a double episode on a first film in a franchise that came out two years ago and then a new film that is coming out uh, this coming week. And that is Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. Uh, a very interesting little horror series from, uh, is this Bloomhouse or is this Bloomhouse Tills? Yeah. Okay. Well, but yeah, I mean, it's whatever, whatever it is. Is it Bloom or Blum? It's, what, uh, what is it? Blumhouse. It's Blum. So it's Jason Blum and it's Blumhouse. Because you have said Bloom many times. I know. So it's Blum. Probably. Is it a <laughs> plum or a plume? Oh, fuck. It's a Fucking proper noun, okay? The rules go out the window. Blumhouse. Okay. So anyways, we are going to talk about those two films uh, coming up on our next episode. From Nick Cheney to Son Egan, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much, as always, for catching up with us here at Film Tank. And we'll be catching up with you next time.